Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get into it. The panel part of the program every weekday afternoon at this time, if not a little earlier, topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Joining us on the Monday edition, as per usual, Mike Van Solen, principal at Navigator. How's Mike holding up? On day uh, 737 of self-isolation, <laughs> I'm doing okay. Wow. Sounds like the Hannah Hilton or something like that. Oh, sounding good, though, for a guy 700 and some odd days into it. Kim Wright is with us as well, principal at Wright Strategies. How about you, Kim? I, I'm doing well. I haven't had quite as many days of uh, self-isolation as Mike, but it felt like it after watching that terrible WrestleMania over the weekend. Oof. Did you watch that? Of course I did. I'm a wrestling aficionado, but in in all my years of watching it, all 36, uh, that was the worst I have ever, ever seen. So, Well, yeah, I mean, there was no crowd, and then I guess the 24-7 title went to Gronk, Gronk Rob Gronkowski, former Rob- tight end for the New England Patriots. You know, if one thing has come out of the this uh, pandemic slash apocalypse, now Gronk is a WWE champion. Who knew? Well, did you hear his clip? He said this was the greatest honor he's ever faced as an athlete. I mean, even though he's got three Super Bowl wins. <laughs> I mean, come on. Who's he fooling? I mean, wow. there's, I'm sure there's a lot of money. And, it's you know, he didn't have to worry about sharing it with Tom Brady. So, so much the better. That's right. Uh, not getting his uh, noggin racked. But this exactly. is uh, where we find ourselves. I mean, uh, the throes of desperation where uh, Kim is watching WrestleMania 36. Now, I would have watched it anyway because I am a diehard wrestling fan. And for those who know me, I was at WrestleMania 3 when Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant. So, you know, I think I'll just watch that next weekend and relive that moment than the crap that was WWE 36. We got to make a movie about that. We'll call it My Dinner with Andre the Giant. <laughs> he had Mike. a hell of a wine collection. <laughs> Andre the Giant did? He did. If there, the the documentary on Andre the Giant for those who need more things to watch during their isolation is really good. It's really quite fascinating. Did he live for a while in Granby, Quebec? I'm not oh. sure, but I think oh. so. Okay, I, well, I know that he had lots of places, but uh, he was uh, yeah. trying to find I'm, places to fit him. My goodness! All right, that's all I'm right. Not, I just I'm want... not a, I'm not a, sorry, I'm not a wrestling fan uh, like Kim, but I have seen a biography on the man, and it is fascinating. Well, yeah. What was he? Seven foot four. He was in the Princess well, Bride too, wasn't he? He yeah, was he indeed. Never... He was a true there. giant. He never stopped growing. <laughs> kind of, kind of like this program. <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way. You thought it was going to be all COVID all the time? Come on. Well, no, this is sort of COVID-related, so I'm going to milk it for all it's worth uh, <laughs> because I wanted to know what uh, self-imposed isolation hath wrought and it's certain a certain madness, you know, because we were commenting last hour, Michael Downey, who's back at the shop producing and screening calls and all the rest, uh, we've got earworms now from the Tiger King singing some of his hits, like I Saw a Tiger and uh, Hear Kitty Kitty. Have you seen anything yet? 
I have avoided it. Uh, oh. I've seen enough memes about it that make me realize there is uh, not much I want to see. I did see a clip of Donald Trump Jr. saying, wow, it only cost me two grand for a tiger. Maybe I'll get one. So we'll see how that works out. He does have a love of uh, big game hunting. So we'll see how that works out over the coming days and weeks. I find that to be morally consistent, like you're a wrestling aficionado, but uh, you scowl and sneer at anybody who watched Tiger King on Netflix. I, I, don't, I don't sneer at it. It was just not on my uh, to-watch list. That's all. Well, it's performance art. Uh, you know, if you've got a certain sensibility, you'll see it in that light. But I've digressed because you brought up uh, the Orange Devil, and uh, I've got to ask, I'll start with you, Mike, you know, when mm -hmm. uh, Trump redirected uh, the 3M face masks that were earmarked for Canada. I mean, uh, is he the orange devil or is that understandable? I mean, he's looking after his own. Uh, I'm not going to quite lose my mind the way some have, but it is, it is shameful uh, that he doesn't see us, uh, Canada, as, as, as somebody who he should be working with at this time. And I'm sure at the, at the department and, the, you know, other levels of government, there is a huge amount of coordination. Uh, we share a border. We're trade partners. Uh, building these devices requires, uh, I'm sure, parts to move back and forth over the border. And, um, you know, just the reaction, uh, you know, of him, uh, you know, he, just seeing him not sort of grow into the moment and, and be a consoler uh, of a nation and a leader, um, you know, has, has really sort of laid bare, I think, uh, his shortcomings as, as president, frankly. Um, we can talk at another time of some of the things that on his record that I think have been decent, uh, but uh, he has just not been able to sort of grow in stature in the office. Uh, at a time of, of deep crisis and to uh, have this attitude towards uh, a country that stood uh, shoulder to shoulder with the U.S. Uh, through wars uh, and, and all the other uh, challenges and atrocities, 9-11, uh, whatever it might be, um, uh, you know, it's just uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. All right. Well, I was saying last week he probably failed to see come from away. Uh, that would be a lesson underscoring that there is this, you know, mutual relationship that's beneficial. But, uh, you know, Kim, I mean, it's also, though, uh, can we suggest that maybe Canada was ill prepared on its own? And even after SARS in 2003, uh, how did we find ourselves with a severe case of the shorts now where we're desperately scrambling? Whose fault is that? Yeah, I think there were a lot of people who in 2007, you know, 8, 9, when we were worrying about things like the last time we worried about pandemics and bird flu and the like, people started to stockpile. So you're seeing some of those uh, things reemerge. What I'm particularly surprised by uh, in this from a, from a lessons from SARS and other pandemics uh, is the lack of uh, initiatives on contact tracing uh, that are now just starting to evolve. I would have thought that a lot of that work, that detailed, painstaking work of who was who was with who and how do you, uh, who have you talked to and who have you been in contact with, and really trying to understand that uh, both from a community spread perspective, but also a is there a clustering perspective? I would have thought that uh, detail work, that that really grueling investigative work, would have actually been one of the first things uh, that they really got right. But they're starting. To, they're they're starting starting to do that. I'm also hoping that very shortly that uh, there will be an announcement around uh, better testing for community spread just in general, not everything with the swabs uh, up the nose and to the back of your ears. So hopefully that type of uh, ability to test will unfold. 
from a from a trade perspective, just going back to that for a second, it, it's interesting because one of the things that uh, was alluded to when he said, well, we're going to block these masks coming from the U.S. to Canada, except for the pulp to make the masks comes from Canada. So I, th- I think there's there's something to be said about we have these trading partners. And one of the things I think every public policymaker will start to look at will be how did globalization work out for us when the chips are down? And can this back and forth trading between neighbors uh, really continue in a realistic way when everyone went super isolationist, super uh, local first uh, when the chips were down? And that's what we saw into the U.S. All right. A lesson learned. Uh, one of the takeaways of many, obviously, as this thing continues to evolve. But to your question of why we're not doing more contact tracing, uh, because it's labor intensive and this thing sort of ballooned beyond our capacity to handle that, let alone we didn't have enough testing to know who, in fact, was virulent. And that's where we are still today until we have sort of mass testing. We're flailing about blindly, and you've got people going into, for example, long-term care homes and uh, maybe asymptomatic, and we see what that hath wrought. Uh, In Toronto alone, 32 deaths in these long-term care homes. We heard from Dr. Eileen Davila earlier today. Mike Van Solen, I'll just ask as a question by way of, you know, curiosity when she was citing these numbers and all the rest. uh, It did come up. If you had a loved one, and I know it's really complicated because many have complex underlying health needs, as she said, would you your impulse be to remove them from a long-term care home at this time? Oh boy, uh, yeah, that is a tricky question. Um, I think I'd have to know more about the specifics of the situation. Um, moving can be really challenging on its own. Uh, you know, it d- depend on the confidence level I had in the, in the home uh, that I felt that they had the protocols in place that were appropriate. Um, and, you know, probably my, you know, at this far into the crisis, I would have made up my mind one way or the other. But look, if, if I felt that uh, a loved one would be safer at home um, because I didn't have confidence, I would certainly do that um, or, or try to find a, a way to allow them to self-isolate within within our, my own home or whatever it might be. But uh, absolutely, uh, I, I think the, the point is you're going to do everything you can to put your people you love in, in the safest place you can. And these old age homes or retirement homes, nursing homes, uh, are, are sort of scary spots. And I think this will be one of the things that really comes out of out of this is is looking at those uh, the planning they have in those in those organizations to uh, be able to deal with something like this because it is such a vulnerable population. Uh, so that's certainly, uh, and I know, you know, I know some people from that sector, uh, they've done a lot of work, but uh, I imagine there'll be a lot of lessons to take from uh, what comes out of this. Yeah, she's talking about putting stricter protocols in place. Uh, the staff is directed to work in one setting only, and uh, they're screened. Residents are checked twice daily. But it seems like uh, these people especially vulnerable. I think uh, there were two more fatalities at the Pinecrest home up in Bob Cajun. The statistic is that, you know, like a quarter, a quarter, I think, uh, roughly of uh, the people who have uh, been deceased in Ontario are from that particular home. And long-term care facilities, uh, I think, make up the bulk of the fatalities. And which is why I asked the question quickly, Kim, I mean, is that something that you would consider if you had, uh, you know, a parent or a loved one in a long-term care facility? Would you try to extricate them if it was at all possible to do? 
So having had the experience of having, uh, so I've, uh, both of my parents have uh, since uh, passed, but my father was in a long-term care facility. And there is a lot of people who work in multiple care facilities. So I think that shutting down of of that uh, needed to happen sooner. Part of that requires an investment in the wages of the people. So they're not uh, having to work three, two and three different facilities at once. Uh, I think if you have the ability to bring your family home and care for them at home, that's a different conversation. If you have the space, if you have the, the they don't have as many underlying conditions, uh, if you're able to do that, that probably would have been good. But one of the things that people would have been quite fearful of and in future lessons uh, that they need to put in place is if you're going to do that and take your loved one to uh, your home for that period of time, you don't lose your spot on the long-term care list. Those lists, those waiting lists to get into long-term care can be quite exhaustive. Some of them, you know, months and even to years to get into certain uh, care facilities. So if they don't lose their spot and how do you maintain that list going forward that, uh, you know, if your spot comes up right now, you've got basically 24 hours to say, all right, I'll go into a long-term care facility. If you've been on that list for quite some time with an aging parent, you're going to think twice about do you put them in or do you lose that spot for another six months? Uh, But tragically, I think the turnover uh, may be a little more robust these days. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.